0: Something a little bit different today, a little experiment. Let me know what you think. Welcome to episode 29 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. Two years ago, I interviewed a midwife for a YouTube channel called the Progressive Parent YouTube channel. And she was talking about the importance of waiting before cutting the umbilical cord after a baby is born. This is really important information. So far, my episodes on parenting have done a lot better. So I thought there was no reason why not to include this one. Let me know what you think. Very pleased to be here this morning with Amanda Burley. She's an NHS midwife of 28 years, a general nurse, mother of two, And since 2005, she's been campaigning for lengthening the time in between children being born and the umbilical cord being clamped. Hi Amanda, how are you?
1: Hi Anthony, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to talk.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. Would you like to just start by telling us a little bit about your own background?
1: Oh, my own background. Um, I trained as a general nurse a long time ago in 1984, uh, qualified in 87 and then became a midwife quite soon afterwards and I've been a midwife for 28 years which means I've got a really good um, general knowledge of most things about to do with midwifery and it's a job that I love very, very much indeed. Um, since 2005 is when I recognised that I was, I was trained in 1988 and when we were trained as midwives we were trained that when babies were born we clamped and cut the cord immediately um, and I did that for 16 years I regret to say but then Reflecting on our practice in 2005, I realized that there was absolutely no evidence to back up the practice of immediate core clamping and I began then to um, campaign for evidence-based practice, which was to um, not clamp the cord immediately Um, and that's become, it's been a very interesting journey over the last 11 years.
0: Yeah, it sounds like, uh, I mean, According to my research in the preparation for this interview, the Royal College of Midwives changed their guidance in 2012 to say that delaying the cutting of the cord was the best practice. And then, now after 10 years, the National Institute for Healthcare and Excellence has also changed its guidelines and states that doctors and midwives shouldn't routinely clamp the cord Earlier than one minute from the birth of the baby, and instead to, should wait one to five minutes, and longer if the mother requests.
1: Uh. Yeah, well, in 2005, when I recognised that we were clamping the cord and we had no, um, we had no evidence to back it up, um, all the national and international guidelines were recommending immediate cord clamping, and the first guidelines to change were the World Health Organization in 2007, that um, they changed their guidance to recommend at least one minute. Particularly in areas of endemic anaemia, um, because clamping the cord immediately deprives the baby of up to 30% of its blood volume, which of course is in, is very important in all babies, but particularly when there's endemic anaemia. Um, so then after 2007, 2009, the Royal College of Gynaecologists and Obstetricians changed their guidance to recommend at least one minute. Um, then, like you say, followed by the Royal College of Midwives in 2012, which didn't give a timing. But they also recommended at the same time that midwives should be, should be competent in both active management of the third stage and physiological third stage, management of the third stage, which is really important because I was brought up in a time when 99.9% of women had active management of the third stage. And I've realized over time that, you know, active management isn't a, an intervention. Um, and all interventions carry some form of risk. And that we should um, be moving towards holistic care for each woman. You know, obviously active management is very, very important in a lot of cases. But in other cases, when you've had a normal labour and delivery, you know, do we really need to be intervening by giving a woman an oxytocin drug, which has side effects and shortening the third stage of labour? So the Royal College of Midwives were actually very, very important. Their guidelines were very, very important and covered two aspects of the third stage of labour, rather than just delaying core clamping. And I was very, very pleased with that, um, with that, with the guideline in retrospect. yeah.
0: Yes, now, you mu- I was just going to say you must be, because that sounds like a great victory for you.
1: It is, a NICE. Um, NICE took a lot of persuading, actually. And in 2000, I think 2011, I wrote to them and had communications with NICE to change their guidance, because, of course... Um, Nice people do follow the NICE guidelines and most people, even though we are autonomous practitioners, need permission to um by way of guidelines but NICE actually wouldn't bring forward their publication date of 2014 so I set up a petition which gained five and a half thousand uh, signatures from 44 different countries because this is not just a, a national problem it's an international problem an immediate call campaign is happening all over the globe And it's something that I'm very actively involved with other other midwives and practitioners, doctors, parents across the world in trying to change practice there as well, because I feel that it's so important.
0: What was your first inclination that midwives and doctors should be waiting before clamping the umbilical cord? My first
1: inclination was in 2005, uh, we had a little discussion before, but um, I have two children with needs, which isn't anything to do with immediate core clamping, uh, but it did put me in touch with teachers of special needs children, and they highlighted the fact that a lot of them were worried about the incidence of children having problems, and not just learning difficulties, but behavioural difficulties, the increase in allergies, the increase in asthma, um, and I'd observe this with my friends as well, you know, um, friends outside work and inside work. And we had in work, we had six job shares who had fourteen children, eight of them were boys, and six had learning problems. And outside work, it was very evident to me that quite a number of my friends had boys that had developmental difficulties, and that set up I have quite um, a forensic mind. And I started looking informally at different aspects that maybe having an impact on our children, and that included looking at um, incidences of uh, people ingesting caffeine in pregnancy, or um, sugar, um, people smoking, drinking, um, wacky-backy, all sorts of things. And then it was like looking for a needle in a haystack, and then looking for this needle in a haystack, I suddenly had this revelation that actually what we were doing in our practice wasn't evidence based. We were doing it because we've been taught that's the way we should do it. But there's not been really any thought in it. Um, it, immediate core clamping came in, in fifteen, sixty years ago because of the, um, advent of an oxytocin drug, which was very, very important in reducing the mortality rate of women down of postpartum hemorrhages. And it's an injection of a hormone, which is given immediately after the baby's born, or in some cases, well, we were advised initially to give the, when the baby's first shoulder was born. And it reduces the chance of PPH, which, of course, it did. But along with that, it was interpreted that the cord was cut immediately. And the problem there lies that nobody had actually thought about the effect on the baby of immediate cord clamping. And there was absolutely no evidence. And there still is today no evidence to support immediately cutting a baby's umbilical cord as soon as the baby's born.
0: Well, let, let's talk about what evidence there is that one perhaps ought not to do that, what are the costs of clamping the umbilical cord early, and what are the benefits of waiting?
1: I think that there's a, there's a lot of there's, well there's a lot of research underway um, at the moment, but the first people that I um, I came across were George Morley in America who'd done some research. Um, which can be found easily on the internet, and it's in the article that was published in The Telegraph. And he was absolutely adamant that the immediate cord clamping had caused the, raise in, the rise in um, autist, autism in children. Mm. Um, there's been no evidence since then uh, to say that this is right, but um, Ulla Anderson in 2011 did a research that showed that babies that had immediate core clamping are far more likely to be anemic, and anemia in babies, um, impacts on their neurological development and behavioral, um, mm. problems. His follow up in, well, a year later showed that these babies that had had the anemia had rectified the anemia. Mm. But the same follow up in children at four years of age shows that the children that had immediate core pumping, particularly boys, which is what I suspected all mm. along, have decreased, um, fine motor skills and behavioral difficulties. Um, mm. Oliver is um he's instrumental in the research that's been done, and he's actually undergoing research in um, different countries at this moment. So it's sort of watch this space really. Judith Judith Mercer is a midwife in America who is my heroine really, mm. and she'd done a lot of research um early 2000s because she actually realised she's the same. She realised as a midwife that immediate core clamping was wrong, mm. but she, she works. In America in a very medicalised uh, model of midwifery and obstet- obstetricians and she realised that she wasn't going to be able to change practice unless she went the academic route and she became a professor and her research is absolutely fantastic particularly in premature babies that show that the impact of immediate cord clamping on premature babies um, is much graver than it would be it is on other babies and the benefits of delayed cord clamping on premature babies um, are really really important.
0: Right, and um, even if that anemia uh, rectifies itself in four years, the first four years of life are absolutely formative, and we have no idea what spending your first four years being anemic will actually do to you, even if on the biological level you recover from that, you know, it may leave other wounds. Uh, I also noticed that a study found that when the cord wasn't clamped immediately, babies gained up to 214 grams in weight. They do, yeah. And, And go on, please.
1: No, I was going to say that's Diane Farrah. Diane Farrah did her research. She's from Bradford, and her team, did they um, they weighed the babies. They left the cord intact for five minutes, and um, babies gained up to 214 grams. And when I'm giving parents informed choice, the research that I quote is Ulla Anderson's, um, which was the anemic one because obviously, um, the four years haven't gone by and Diane Farah's research that was done in 2010. And parents will quickly grasp that immediate core clamping is not a good idea and that delaying the core clamping, especially when there's no, absolutely no reason to clamp it immediately mm. is extremely important. And they were the people that began. So they were the, uh, parents were the, the educated parents that were given informed choice. Were the ones that started to change that really make an impact on changing practice? Um,
0: lovely. And uh, on that point, you wanted to talk about cord blood donation and that's um, links to informed choice and and how important that is. Would you Would you tell us a little bit about that?
1: I think the thing about informed choice is absolutely huge because we have actually been doing an intervention which deprives the baby of up to 30% of its blood uh, without informing the parents. And I'll lead on to that bit in a minute. But even nice, when I had communications with them, one of the reasons that they wouldn't bring their guidance forwards or changing guidance was because they said that all parents get informed choice. Well, unfortunately, that is not the case um and hasn't been. Um the last year has been better because obviously NICE now recommend um a delay of at least one minute and practice is changing, but that can't be guaranteed. There's a lot of big units that are still doing immediate core clamping and having thought about changing practice. The thing I would say about the um cord donation, which I think is really quite important, is that parents um are given information that they can donate their baby's umbilical core club and they are told that it's a waste product. In the past when we used to do this and we had no awareness of what we were doing, it was a waste product. It shouldn't have been a waste product, but it should, it was ended up in the bin rather than in the baby. Um, and this is sometimes still exploited that um, this cold blood is a waste product. If the cold blood is in the baby, it's not a waste product. Um, but cold blood donation companies are very keen to get their hands on this blood and they say that they give, quite often they're not giving parents informed choice. And I know I get communications through people because I do have a website, a, a Facebook page called Optimal Core Clamping for Blood Benefit. Um, and we get people writing in saying that they've been, um, or midwives writing in to say that the women are given really good information about donating their baby's blood, but they're not told about delayed core clamping. And what they think they're doing is signing up to save people's lives by giving away a donation. With this waste product when it's actually not a waste product, it should be in the baby. You can do a delay core clamping for a minute, and some companies will actually allow optimal core clamping where the cord stops pulsating, which is the ideal. I have to say, we're starting a new campaign called Wait for White, mm. where the cord has finished pulsating and the cord is white and empty. Um, and there are some companies that will take the placenta and take the stem cells from that, and other companies will allow the baby to have a minute or more and then they will um, then they'll they'll camp and put and take the um, take the donation but some companies say, well they they advertise as the biggest sample is the best mm. and what I am concerned about is that parents aren't getting informed choice because you can do both but they're not getting informed choice and the bigger sample is the best really really worries me because that bigger right. sample is the biggest sample that's been taken from the babies yes uh, so informed choice in both because you can do both is extremely important but there's a mm. lot of parents signing up for this without knowing about the um what they're actually doing you know they're not getting proper informed choice
0: yes i mean what you say makes so much sense to me i mean nature isn't stupid it's it's not silly um if the umbilical cord is pulsing then it looks to me like that has a biological function i mean it's trying to pour blood into the baby and even when i heard about your work, I, I saw your, the article in the Telegraph where you were interviewed, which I'll link to in the description of this show. I thought, well, I, I've always sort of thought that you should wait a while before clamping the umbilical cord. I mean, a baby's sensitive, and it's already just had the shock of leaving the safety of its mother's womb to appear, you know, in a bright environment and i thought you know it wouldn't need a shock right another shock right away mm-hmm. and uh, just just to take a little bit more care in the early stages because a newborn child is so sensitive so the thing about the pulsing is it looks like a hopeful sign because people will actually be able to measure whether the baby's ready to have its umbilical cord cut or not yeah. by the signals that you know nature is intended to give it yeah. which is to watch you know to watch for the correct signs
1: yes i agree completely yeah the go- great the first the first minute the first hour of a baby's life are really really important you know mm. The best start for a baby is obviously optimal cold clumping whether cold stops pulsating, say skin to skin and breastfeeding or a feeding of mother's choice but if you can get the delay called the op- optimal cord clamping, you know, the baby's got that best start and you can never take that back. And there's so many benefits to, um, delay cord, cl- you know, optimal cord clamping, you know, the baby gets 30%, at least 30% of its more circulating blood. Um, well, it's not 30% more. It's actually the baby's blood. The baby gets its full intended blood, um, volume. Mm. Um, from the cord and placenta, they have a decreased risk of anemia, um, and increased iron stores. Um, they have increased stem cells. I think Judith Mercer says that there's about billions extra stem cells, and of course stem cells mm. are the building blocks for um, for, sure. for an adult's life. Um, and these and these stem cells are important all the way through the, the baby's life. Um, it does also concern me that we're actually on second generation core clamping; that we're clamping and cutting the cords of babies whose parents have their cords clamped and cut. You know, it's there a possibly mm. an accumulative effect over the generations. Mm. You know, what are we actually doing globally? Um the baby gets more oxygen to vital organ, organs there's some new research to say that a baby that has optimal cord clamping um actually responds better to its mother's voice and that's to do with the level of eye wow. preterm infants um, they have decreased intraventricular hemorrhage, decreased necrotizing enterocolitis, decreased sepsis decreased anemia, decreased blood transfusions, this is not rocket science, this is mm. fundamentally important And that is why, in 2010, David Hutchin, who has been enormous um, in this drive forward for um, for optimal cord clamping, um, convened a meeting where there was consultants, and we realised that one of the biggest obstacles to optimal cord clamping was going to be compromised babies—the ones that I've just described. um, You know, who receives them: the obstetrician and the paediatrician, and that you know, to try and persuade people to keep this cord intact when the baby needs resuscitation was going to be nearly impossible so we devised them um, a mini resuscitator called the life start well it was initially the basics trolley but then it became a life start trolley <clears throat> and that enables that's a small resuscitator that enables the cult to remain intact whilst the baby's been resuscitated and that is actually in use in um in units across the uk and abroad there's been big research out um trial being done in san diego um on the basics trolley and they said that it's actually it has saved lives
0: because a, wow.
1: a baby that gets the full blood content um is easier to resuscitate than a baby that's hypovolemic
0: wow uh, amanda i just like to thank you so much uh, for sharing your wisdom with us it's been really really informative and also for your contributions like you know the trolley and for spreading this information around i mean it might make all the world of difference to so many young people who are being born from now on and i was just wondering if there was anything else that you were keen to express before we wrap up
1: oh i think it's just the informed choice and people spreading you know if somebody listens to this and just thinks gosh this is a really you know this isn't rocket science, it's really, really important. To spread the word, you know, you might get somebody that comes mm. from a different country, and to go back to their country and group with other people to try and spread this. Mm. Erla Anderson, who's one of the top researchers, said that we're all pushing a snowball. And it doesn't mm. matter whether we're a top researcher, whether we're a parent, a doula, a midwife, or a doctor. We're all pushing this snowball, and it's getting bigger and bigger. And we have to roll it out globally. You know, and um, there's lots of very... Determine people working in different countries and we we network because we do need support raising your head above the parapet And trying to change practice even though this is evidence-based It's really quite difficult. There's a lot of people that resist it because they always think that the um, Nobody likes to change practice, mm-hmm. so it's very important Especially when you've got companies across the world that are trying to um get hold of this very important cold blood um, For sure yeah, and um everybody needs to work together
0: Well, hopefully we've um, collaborated well together today. We have, yeah. Where can people get your critical details if they want to follow your work or get in touch with you or anything like that? Where can they find you?
1: Um, I have my Facebook page, which is, um, well, I'm on Twitter, and my Twitter name, of course, is at Optimal Clamping. And I have a Facebook page, which is Optimal Cold Clamping, um stroke full blood benefit but we might be adding weight for white into that um and um, i I I receive a lot of communication via email and I do get back to people it might take me a few days depending on what's going on but I will answer queries um but my the the facebook page has actually become quite interactive really and we have a lot of people having babies getting advice having babies and then spreading their well telling their stories on facebook and that makes it really quite interactive um And I I co-share that now with um, another midwife in Australia. So um, we're working, you know, globally. It's it's a good team.
0: Lovely. Thank you. And I will put any links you ask me to in the description of the video so people can just click at the video description and follow up on that. Thank you for spending this time with me. My pleasure, uh, Anthony, and thank you for asking me. Okay, make sure you share this if you know anyone who is prego or might be one day because you're helping them give an excellent advantage to their newborn. Until next time, be yourself. Well, don't just be yourself. Be yourself and love it.